0: IT businesses in From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast. With a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT. With your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and
1: Carl Polichuk. Welcome, welcome everybody to episode 110 of the Killing It <coughs> Podcast. Not sure why I squeaked there, but that's uh, that's all right. So it's sunny and bright here, and I think everywhere.
0: It's gorgeous here. It is absolutely gorgeous. We are about to get hit by cicadas, though. Next week is the, Ooh, the coming of Brood X. So I guess by gorgeous. the time this releases, Brood X will be emerging from the ground.
1: So this is the 19 year, the 17 year,
2: the 13 year. This is the like, like they're year.
0: all out at once. Yeah, These this the is the 17 years.
2: year, and and it's supposed to be epic. However. Uh my, uh my my daughter and son-in-law used to live in athens georgia and i can vouch for the fact that there are always cicadas right like oh, yeah, every yeah. single year they come back like a different brood comes back every single year and and when they go extra you notice but only if you're not from there like
0: well, the local- brood, x, brood x is a big one like brood x is yeah. one of these ones that's known to be really really big and i was here 17 years ago when they were last year and they are just was really big they're like like like, like it's ridiculously loud and then there will come the point where we're like sweeping up bodies like, right, it's, right. it's it's a thing it's an actual thing but the weather's gorgeous and so i'm going to be outside again which is also, See, awesome but, and, also and i hear
1: that the, the reason cicadas come out in years that are prime numbers is that no other animal can then figure out how to use them as a primary food source.
2: Uh-huh. So there there, are. There, there's some science thinking inside of the natural. The Council of
0: Cicadas came up with this idea. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and you X. shall be in brood X.
0: Exactly.
2: <laughs> well, and, and I just have to mention that just because anytime you're having a weather, weather conversation with somebody from the Pacific Northwest, it is not actually sunny everywhere. It is, uh, we're, 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 we're being tortured, we're being reminded that it is almost springtime, but not, I mean, calendar-wise, but not weather-wise, and we're very jealous of all y'all who have good weather this week.
1: Well, Sacramento hits 90 this week, and then I don't think it'll get... I don't think we'll top out below that for 3 months, 4 months.
0: We still have a little bit of cool evenings, but the days are getting the days are getting warm and it's it's still variable. Like you're still getting this mishmash of like some days are really warm and other days are not quite so warm. Like so it's it's kind of funny. every day is something new. I like it I like it
2: this weekend in Seattle 53 and raining
0: no
1: thank you (laughs) with luck you'll be traveling soon
2: exactly this that that only exaggerates my desire to gtfo and and get on an airplane to go somewhere so uh next week we are actually going to do that and we're going to decamp to uh to michigan again to go visit the kids and ann arbor michigan when it's not freezing cold is an absolutely fantastic. Oh, this is
1: a great time of year for that. And you might
0: yeah. see some cicadas. Hey, there Bye. you go. <laughs> and some good beers. Well, this week, we are brought to you by our friends at Ignite. Want to learn about trends in managed services, increasing sales, governance, or winning in biopharma? How about an MSP peer panel or CompTIA's Carolina April with their latest research in managed services trends? Ignite's first annual MSP summit is coming May 11th keynoted by our very own Carl Polichuk on setting a cloud strategy. The first 300 attendees even get a copy of Carl's book on becoming a successful MSP in 30 days. Win prizes, network with peers, all in a half-day online event. Register for free right at ignite.com slash MSP radio. So guys, our first story... It kind of takes me back. I managed a McDonald's in high school, and so I had to laugh when I saw this one. It's a story from Wired, and it's talking about the epic saga of the Cold War over their ice cream machines. Now, anybody I love who liked,
1: this story. By the way,
0: I love this story so much for so many reasons. So, if you're not, you know, where they are notorious for breaking down a lot these particular machines there is a hidden menu in terms of finding out the repair bit and it is around uh and what's interesting is is that a company figured out exactly how to do diagnostics on that and built their own set of tools to help you get access to that information and the manufacturer of the machine is pushing back and it was it it is very much a right to repair style story Wild technology, a completely other space. Carl, you liked it. What 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 did you love so much about this one?
1: Well, p- part of it is that, you know, the, the nerdy part of me, I can just see, like, you know, the, the, the volume of this and that and the viscosity of the milk and, you know, all these weird things. Part of me harkens back to, you know, reading the, uh, the hacker's journal and so forth, where they would always have stories about, you know, how do you get into the... The you know UPS store computers and da 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 right that like there's little bits of hidden knowledge, and then finally there's the part of me that says, have you tried to get inside of a Brother computer if you are not a Brother authorized you know uh, fix-it shop? Uh, there's there's a legit piece of business that only exists because people can't fix their own stuff, and it's deep in our industry, and so. Uh, even though McDonald's is not our industry, (laughs) you know, the technology piece of it, there's a lot of people who make a living because they are schooled specifically in that technology. And so you, you have to wonder, this is not a consumer product. This is a corporate product that costs a whole bunch of money. Do they have the right to repair their own ice cream machines? Well, right. So, yeah. they
0: built a machine that goes, their device that they build goes inside of it and makes it smart, right? It takes this device and it, it, it plugs in and it starts doing the sensors, adds Wi-Fi, adds an app. It's super cool. So, you know, th- this is adding functionality to the device. Do you own it enough to do it? Are they allowed to expand upon it? Ryan, I didn't mean to step on you there. No, no, you're you're going
2: exactly the right direction here because, to Carl's point, right, the right to repair is always going to be in conflict with the industry's interest in quality control and proprietary boundaries, right? almost every manufacturer of a hardware device and that is true not just in information technology industrial technology mechanical technology restaurant technology in every case if you make a device you've got authorized service provider criteria so that you can a certify and control the quality of those people that are going to go out and mess with your machines I get that, I understand exactly that logic, but also B to preserve the proprietary boundaries and make sure that you are expensive to replace. You, if, if it is easy to switch off of your device, I will. When another competitor comes along and pitches me just a little bit new features and a little bit lower price, I'll switch. Unless there is proprietary voodoo magic involved in maintaining that stuff that you as the user owner are not authorized to do. Uh, I learned this when I was a young child, fascinated by taking the backs off of electronic things and seeing what was going on on the inside. And then you would get that little sticker in there that says, do not remove this screw or you will void the warranty. And I'm like, but it's mine. I want to be able to repair this thing. The industry has a vested interest and where i think it goes wrong dave is exactly where we started talking about this was it february of last year we had a big conversation about the right to repair and the the trend moving in the user's direction it is fascinating to me that technology being information technology is a dramatically younger industry than these other segments like the the mcdonald's ice cream machine But we're getting to the right to repair generations quicker than these other industries have. I think that could actually be a sign of good news. Well, and this is an interesting
1: way to approach it for our industry, because this is a perfect example of something where you say, okay, well, if I can open up this machine and I can make these changes and so forth and so on, but it's under some kind of warranty service, should the warranty service provider still provide their service after I've mucked with the innards of this machine? I think it's a legit question.
2: Well, of course it's a legit question because if you reconfigure outside of factory settings, then when my technician shows up to service that piece of equipment, there's additional diagnostics time involved in the service call. There's a lot of messing around, figuring out what you've done so that I can undo it and redo what needs to be fixed in this thing. I completely understand why the manufacturing side of our industry wishes to preserve the authorized access to those devices. But I also feel that personal pull on the side of I paid you for it. It's mine. I should be able to do with it what I wish. I just need to be careful about does that mean that you will actually still stand behind it after I have self-tuned that machine
0: well right and and i mean i'll i'll make two points i'll first i'll say like and what and if i want to pay for it like if i'm okay like i'm gonna muck around with it and you want to come out and i'll keep paying you for it then i there's an element of that i actually will even layer on a bit that isn't covered in the article i really do encourage everyone to read it. it's a great read it's so much it's fun, fun. um but i actually also want to layer in a little bit of uh, historical significance to this. And the reason, that, and I want our people to think about, like the longevity of equipment is often significantly longer than the original manufacturer intended. Here's the example of, the, of stuff anybody knows me well or watches my videos or stuff like that, sees my backdrop, I'm a retro video gamer. There are devices still in service in this space that are clearly decades older than original manufacturer intended them to be in business, and there is a reverse engineering effort to go on to keep some of these things alive to figure out the new bits that go on, and ultimately manufacturers have to understand that in some cases this is this is they are well beyond the intended service life, um, and they may and that may be a good. Thing, But if you don't have the access to schematics, to documentation, if you don't have the ability and the right to get access to that, later repair work becomes a significant thing. And what's interesting, and in particularly, and I'll use video games again as an interesting area, because you would think these companies did a fantastic job of protecting their IP not so much video game code has been lost you know video game code has been completely lost development process has been completely lost some of the details of creation of the devices is lost like and these aren't necessarily that old you know they are you know 30 years 40 years in some areas that's not that long so there's interest it's an interesting element of by the manufacturer keeping that level of control they are locking out the use cases that they may not have thought of that made their devices so popular
1: well one thing that we can look to I would say is the automotive industry because if you have a brand new car, you go in and, and it's been in a, a fender bumper and they literally start scanning barcodes. It's, you know, this long to take off the bumper, prep it, paint it, duh, boop, 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 and they have an exact number and that's what it costs. You take in a 62 Volvo and they're gonna be like, oh, only Dave can work on those. He comes in on Thursdays. <laughs> and if he doesn't like you he won't work on it you know and so you know there's there's a a wide variation but i do think there's a lot we can learn from how that
2: industry has worked with older stuff to keep it around essentially forever see i think that is precisely the use case that we ought to look at the automotive industry they have to pay a tremendous amount of money to maintain parts and equipment for 62 volvos and 57 chevys and stuff like that but they do it because there's a viable marketplace the question is to dave's point is there a viable marketplace for technology equipment past the original warranty lifespan i would argue yes and everybody who is trying to replace all their server infrastructure on a three-year clockwork calendar might also agree that they would like to get slightly more than three years out of that equipment lifespan.
1: All righty. And we will come back to this, I assure you. But now let's move on. Topic number two. uh, We look to the EU not for their recent right to repair moves, but for uh, looking at regulating high-risk artificial intelligence. I think this is interesting because they're literally saying, okay, how do we define what constitutes high risk? And then you know, uh, some things are obvious. Will this result in the death of a person, the damage of property, that sort of stuff? But also, um, does it violate people's rights uh, as defined by the European Union, right? So uh, the combination of artificial intelligence plus some kind of risk, whether it's to individuals' rights, uh, their, you know, personal property, their personal, uh, uh identifiable information right there's lots of things that can be combined with ai to make it risky and so they have draft legislation which i think will be out next week um but an early copy of that was released and so we have a link to that uh from TechCrunch uh, in the show notes but i think it's an interesting thing where you know we've sort of talked on the periphery of this many many times on our show but here it is putting it right in our face ai Plus, these things equals risk. It's a new way of thinking about technology.
0: Well, I mean, the EU is clearly a leader on that uh, in this space, and they are very thoughtful about it. Look, they've introduced a proposed piece of legislation. That means it goes through the process. That's going to take a while. <laughs> like it, it's, right. You know, I mean, like it, this is not it's happening next. Right. <laughs> this isn't happening next week, right? So, so there's. But let, let's let's observe. Like they're very thoughtful on the way that they. Express interest in the way they apply it to privacy. They've already led on GDPR. GDPR took a long time, but can be qualified as hugely impactful. You know, there are a lot of American companies that are abiding by GDPR because it is the if they want to do business in Europe, that's the way they do it, and it's easier to just use that standard and apply it everywhere. Um, I like the idea of a thoughtful set of thinking, you know, of, of framework around the way AI gets applied and frankly I'll have to go and the Europeans seem like a great one to give it some thought because uh, they are deliberate on this they have less vested interest in the business side of that because many of these companies, for example, are American or Chinese companies that will see the business upside of it where the Europeans will just generally see the cultural impact and all of the downsides. So they're the ones who are going to say, well, we don't get the upside, we're going to get the downside, so we're going to give this some <laughs> thought. <laughs> like that, they seem like a great set of, of group to be giving this some thoughtful. I'm, I'm looking forward to hear what they say.
2: Well, I, and see, I agree with you. They are leading on this topic of thinking about the implications, the cause and the effect, the unanticipated consequences of new technologies. What I find most interesting about this is how they have been able to kind of reverse engineer the impact, those social challenges, right? Like Carl pointed out, if somebody dies, if somebody is injured, if property is destroyed, or if you prevent somebody from getting equitable access to financial services government services education etc well the question is how would AI actually cause an interference with your ability to do that? Oh, step one more back in the logic chain, and these are now the application types and categories that are going to be examined and potentially regulated. Things like HR recruiting systems, things like your credit worthiness score and your access to banking and financial services. The things that they are going to regulate, like this this is where I think this topic is incredibly, tangible and important. Most people hear regulating AI and they think, well, that's a million miles removed from me and my life and my business. And I'm not going to have to worry about that stuff. Except if you turn on your smartphone and launch an app, guarantee every one of us has multiple applications in each of these categories on our devices now. And if they if they use AI improperly or ineffectively, it's not that's not some esoteric philosophical concept it's going to directly affect you and your life and the fact that people are now thinking about what those unanticipated consequences might be that gives me a lot of hope for the ability to deploy ai to get the upside without melting down society into well, the and
1: we the love to talk about the philosophical side of things on this program But last week we talked about geolocation and basically, can you come up with 10 very practical real world things where you can point to and say, if you're doing this, you might be uh, combining AI with one of these risk profiles, whether that affects somebody's ability to get a job or uh, to just lead their life (laughs) without you buttoning in on it. Um, So I look forward to them finding some practical applications. That's to me, that's always where our judicial system does a pretty good job as they boil it all down. Like here's the entire constitution of the United States. And here are the three things <laughs> that we're gonna use as a test uh, to see if this is true. Um, so I, I'd like to see what they come up with as practical things that I can point to and say, now I can apply this to my clients and to their services and to the things I develop for them.
2: Well, and to those of you who work in this industry this is going to again within one or two steps of logic this is going to directly affect the services you provide to your clients is it a question of data privacy and protection is it a question of being able to do data forensics and and look back into the data on some of your client systems to identify where their information may have been accessed by an AI tool that caused some adverse effect. The, the plumbing of the technology and information industry is going to be directly impacted by everything that this government regulation proposes to do around AI. We, we, those of us that are in this industry, we sell a lot of equipment and software and services around government regulation. Every time the government comes out with a new thing, everybody in our industry wakes up and goes, it's going to be super complicated. Nobody understands. I can get paid professional services for consulting around this. Dave's example around GDPR is exactly the right one. We sold a ton of stuff. and it got to the point where all you had to do was send an email to a client and say GDPR. And, and they would go, Ooh, here's some money, right? Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is going to be that category of impact on our
0: industry. Well, so I'll, I'll leave the thought with this. Remember, I'm way more into good regulation opens up those opportunities. Bad regulation means you still have to do the work of the, the good regulation might have done and comply with bad regulation. So right. I, those those that say, oh, don't do regulation, I'm like, ah, you're missing the boat. You actually want to be involved to get the regulation right because that results in the effective end game, so that's the well, that's my yeah, and and I would
1: point to HIPAA as the U.S. Uh, example of. It took us 20 years to figure out how to actually make it usable and, you know, with, you know, CMMC, we were, were, were kind of there, um, but man, it was, that was some bad legislation. <laughs>
2: <Yep>. <laughs> Correct. and to well, Well-intended, point. poorly written, bad legislation. All right. Precisely. Topic to number three. Well-intended, poorly executed, um, but uh, Carl, you made a point that I want to use as the bridge into our third topic here today, because last time we discussed the topic of geolocation and the pros and cons of that technology. I remain a phenomenal believer in the capabilities of technology that bridges the digital and physical worlds, right? These abilities to not just track the ones and zeros of our systems, but to track the place and the movement of humans within the physical world around those systems. I think it's a brilliant thing, but fraught with risk, as we discussed last time. Uh, in the last week, we have just uh, witnessed another significant marketing event and and a rollout announcement from our friends over at Apple, where they launched a whole bunch of new stuff. One of them included is the AirTags, tags. And um, inside of there, we, we we're linking to an article here that includes you know, kind of a rundown of what that stuff is. But it is also it makes the point that to their credit, the Apple folks have actually thought ahead of a way that geotagging and finding your stuff, they understand it could be used in a bad way. And so they've engineered an anti-stalker feature into that. I'd love to get your, your thoughts on, A, what you think about the, uh, the new product tracking and finding capabilities, and B, how, how does that impact our ability to stay private in this
0: world? Alright, I'll go i I'll go first. The fanboy over here ordered eight. So, <laughs> so 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 I like the I like them so much there are eight arriving on Friday. They, yes. they, I will have them by the time this releases. So I've been looking for a device that does this for a while, right? In terms of my and my particular use cases are I plan to put them in my wife and my car. Why? So I can find them in a friggin' parking lot. When we when we're looking around for where the car was parked perfect use case we're going to drop them into we're going to drop them into luggage so that when you are trying to find your luggage in the airport and know where it is in the process that will tell me where the the luggage is I'm going to have like in my briefcase so like I have solutions for this where it's like this makes perfect sense to me as a device I've wanted I have tried tile before and it didn't work well for me I have tried uh, other devices for luggage try they didn't work very well so for me this was I knew what the need and I'm looking forward to it I appreciate the fact, and I understand that it's also a level of marketing, but I appreciate the fact that Apple has decided that privacy is a feature that they will build into this, and that they had the forward and up thinking to go, you know what, the use case we want this used for is the owner to find their stuff not for a stalker to find <laughs> to do it so the things announce themselves if they aren't connected to you know they aren't connected to the owner's phone for a couple of days they start making noise if they immediately identify that they are traveling near an iphone that isn't the one that is theirs but the owner isn't around they start making a lot of noise that is to catch that stalker like tracker scenario. It's like, yep, this makes perfect sense to me. And I appreciate the thinking of it. I personally think they're going to sell a gazillion of these things because it's priced really well. If you're in if you live in the Apple ecosystem, you already buy into all of this stuff and it's, you know, for $29 or 99 for 4, I bought eight. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so as the, as the non-Apple fanboy of the crowd here, uh, I have to say, I just thought this was so humorous. My, my Literally, my first response was, oh, they've invented the tag I've had in my luggage for like eight years. Um, <laughs> my primary use for my tile, actually, is I have my YubiKey on it so that I can never lose my YubiKey. Yep. Yeah. Which, you know, matters when you travel a bit. Um, the, uh, the non-stocking feature I do think is huge. Uh, I have heard more stories about people using this to track so-called loved ones uh, than I would like to admit. Um, it, that's, it's kind of a freaky thing about human nature. Uh, so I, w- I would like to see that go away. Having invented it, though, I wonder uh, how long will it will be before uh, everybody else has the same feature. You know, so
0: well. See, this is where I think. I mean, and you, we can. Ha- I'm not going to go into the apple, the anti-competitive statement, other to recognize that they are leveraging their market position. The magic to the way this works is the network of iPhones that they have deployed. That this leverages. Another manufacturer simply does not have the reach you know, to do this, Apple has a unique offering. Is that anti-competitive? I'm not going down that road. What I'm saying is, is Tile couldn't build it because they couldn't get their app on enough devices. You don't have another infrastructure out there that allows this to, to work. Apple can, has the magic. Do you See, believe it's that's... a feature? Or do you believe it's something else? <laughs> uh,
2: again, the concept of the concept is brilliant. The execution is where it gets hard. I, I remember it was either two thousand and one or two thousand and two. We were sitting in our offices in Denver, Colorado, and you know, uh, at that point it was like a newsletter from from uh, some of the venture capitalist industry. Like these are new things that have been pushed. These are new products that have been announced. and one of them was the technology that became tile in two thousand and one or two, right? the the hitch in their pitch was this is technology that doesn't require its own radio signal because it will piggyback off of all of the other units dot 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 it only works once there's a million of these things out there to create the web of of infrastructure for actually finding any one of these devices if you are the only person in your town with a tile it accomplishes zero. If you are a million and one person who does it, you'll find that thing in a heartbeat, right? That's where Apple's technology is brilliant because it's not just the little tag that tracks. It's your phone, your iPad, et cetera, et cetera. I buy that technology and, and Apple did not, Apple almost never invents anything. The tablet, the laptop, the smartphone, they didn't invent those things. They just took what was a burgeoning category and then marketed the hell out of it and made a ton of money on top of it. That's probably where they're going to go with this one. But the fact that they thought about the privacy feature, I think, Carl, I sincerely hope you're 100% right. They did that. That's a competitive differentiator. Every other manufacturer is going to come back next quarter and say, me too, I've now got that anti-stocking feature built in awesome i think that would be a real advancement not only for the product and the industry but for humanity because i don't know about you guys right everybody has an origin story in technology my on-ramp into this industry was not through sci-fi and through all of that other stuff my my on-ramp into this industry was through spy movies i Mm -hmm. i find like jason Bourne and back into all of the old spy movies back in the 60s and 70s i find that stuff fascinating And the ability to put a tracker on a car back then required massive pieces of equipment that none of us believed you could actually conceal and nobody would see. The miniaturization of electronics has advanced to a point where these things are now easier to lose than the devices that they're attached to. So they could be used for nefarious purposes. I'm very happy to hear that somebody's thinking about privacy.
0: Here's the other thought on this that I'm going to say is, I think the interesting thing about AirTags is we will figure out what the use cases are based on the way people use them. I think that's the other thing that's really interesting to find out is I think they've got a sense of what these might be used for. And I think in six months to a year, we're going to have lots of interesting ideas about the way that they are actually deployed in the field. I'm really looking forward to seeing how people get creative with the way they're used. Well, if
1: they're small enough, they just go on, like, my cat's collar and the dog's collar, right, you know?
0: In, uh, into uh, your again, doesn't have to be
1: It doesn't have to be an Apple thing. Uh, I will note in the article that we're pointing to here, it does mention that uh, this, you know, universal global connectivity of iPhones is 11 and above. So, you know, <laughs> it's...
2: it's well, it's, it's, 11, oh, that it's below it's, that
0: <laughs> it's 11 and above for the for the precision tracking feature that, they, they work with any with any iphone the precision tracking feature is 11 and above so there there is there's is, you know there's some distinction to that but by the way 11 and above is still a ton of iphones right <laughs> exactly
2: it, it is very
1: bad. cool well sadly we are out of time uh but we do want to encourage you Hey, give us some comments, give us some feedback, share it with your friends, and make sure that we are on your favorite podcatcher.
0: We're looking forward to hearing from you in the, in the community. Follow us on the socials, links in the show notes, of course, to everywhere that you can find us. And uh, we, I guess we will talk to everybody next time.
1: Very good. And that will do it for episode 110
0: of the Killing It, Killing Killing it. podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.